This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to episode 159 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. Today's episode is a special one, as they all are, of course. I'm not really one to mark occasions, you know, my wife's birthday, Mother's Day, etc., but I'll make an exception this week as it is three years ago on the 25th of November 2016 when I released episode one of the UK True Crime Podcast. A lot has changed in that time for me and no doubt for you too. But thank you all so much for joining me on... <laughs> I almost said journey. Ow! But you know what I mean. Thank you for listening. And do please take a look at my website, uktruecrime.com. Lots of average articles there, with the latest being Not Average, an excellent piece from Mark of the Seeing Red True Crime podcast about the effects of true crime on mental health. And do check out his podcast, which he hosts with Bethan, Seeing Red. It's well worth a listen. Today's show is from Liverpool and is an extreme story of the danger in starting a chain of events, which can quickly get out of control, with the outcome being the opposite as to what was intended. I'm delighted that this week's show is sponsored by Skillshare. Sometimes it's easy to get so busy with daily life that you don't get round to making the time to explore that hobby or interest. I know just what it's like. This is where Skillshare can help. It's an online learning community with thousands of classes in subjects as wide as photography, creative writing and productivity. I love Skillshare as it's so intuitive and easy to use at my own pace. The last class I took this week was an introduction to SEO, which showed me just how out of touch I was with my previous understanding of the subject. And I'm using the practical knowledge to enhance my online presence. So come and join the millions of us already learning on Skillshare and get an awesome two months free when you sign up at skillshare.com slash truecrime. Yep, that's two whole months and unlimited classes can be yours just by heading to skillshare.com slash truecrime. That's skillshare.com slash truecrime. As always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new members of this exclusive club, Anne-Marie Swan and Keith Canavan. Thank you both for your support, which is so much appreciated. Full-length bonus episode 37 is finally out tomorrow for Patreon supporters. And if you want to see more details about just how tricky my life was when I started this podcast, head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime today, where for just a couple of quid a month, I reveal all about my life, that is. Let's take a brief look at the music we were listening to at the time the following events took place. 27th of February 2012. Number one in the UK charts was Goitch, that's how you pronounce it, featuring Kimbra with a tribute to ex-listeners of this podcast, somebody that I used to know. In the US, Kelly Clarkson topped the charts with Stronger, and in Australia, 
Sadly, no sign of a comeback from legend and friend of the show Daryl with a remix of Horses. But instead, the top spot was taken by Flo Rider featuring Sia with Wild Ones. In the news this month in Australia, tens of thousands of people were stranded by floods in New South Wales and Queensland. In better times for the royal family, Queen Elizabeth II marked the 60th anniversary of becoming British monarch, becoming only the second to do so. 44 people were killed in a prison brawl in Apocada, Mexico, between two rival drug cartels. Look, if you really must smuggle drugs, please don't try to do it out of Mexico, as the jails there sound just unbelievably horrendous. A train derailment killed three people and injured 45 in Burlington, Ontario. And this was the month, if you recall, that the Occupy London protesters were evicted from St Paul's Cathedral. David Corridon was born and grew up in the Norris Green area of Liverpool before moving to Toxteth with his partner Maureen Smith and their two children. He loved motocross, he was a very loving dad to his children, and also a very fit man. He worked out daily and he used steroids to increase his bulk. Although he was in theory a self-employed removals man, in reality, when we joined the story in 2011, 32-year-old David made his real living from dealing drugs. His daily pattern was familiar, gym at nine and then dealing for the rest of the day. In November 2011, his relationship with Maureen was rapidly deteriorating as she constantly accused him of having affairs. Fed up of all the constant arguments, David moved back to Norris Green with his mum and his stepdad. Maureen didn't want her split with David and she wanted him back. And whether her suspicions about his infidelity were valid or not, it's unclear. But either way, Maureen just wanted David to be faithful to her and to live happily ever after. Of course, how you or I may deal with that situation might vary. But Maureen felt the best way to get David back was to steal the £35,000 or so in drugs money he kept in his mum's house, which would make his law-abiding parents so angry they would kick him out, so he would have to move back in with her. What could possibly go wrong? Along with her younger sister, 35-year-old Kelly, the two planned a robbery at David's mum's house for the 6th of December, when David and his family would all be out at his nan's funeral. Kelly contacted a man she knew would likely be interested in the job, 33-year-old Tyrone Griffiths, to actually carry out the crime, telling him that David was a dealer who kept 40 grand or so in the house and there was a so-called graft there if he could take it. Tyrone was well known locally and had previously been accused of being the gunman who shot 20-year-old Ryan Woolley in the Wavertree districts of Liverpool in August 2007, if you recall this was following a gangland feud. Along with two other men, he'd been accused of plotting and carrying out the street shooting of Ryan, who was killed after picking up a pizza from a takeaway. Before he could take the pizza home, he was shot five times in the neck, face and chest, as revenge for the underworld execution of Michael Mikey Wright in December 2006. Ryan Woolley had been arrested over Michael Wright's murder, along with his brother, Philip, who was convicted of being involved and is, as we speak, currently serving a minimum of 24 years behind bars. December the 6th, 2011. When at his grandma's funeral, 
David received a threatening text from someone blackmailing him. It said that if he did not pay the texter a fee of £10,000, then they would tell his girlfriend Maureen that he'd been sleeping with someone else. David was confused by this, as he'd recently bought a new iPhone and was unclear how they got his phone number. It was puzzling. Then after the funeral, David popped home alone to change his clothes, and when he got there, he discovered that someone had attempted to burgle his mum's house while they'd been out. The would-be thieves had entered the rear garden of the house, lifted up the fence, and had propped a yellow spirit level under it to keep it up, and then pushed a weedy bin under the bedroom window. David discovered that fortunately they'd been disturbed by a neighbour and had been chased away. But even after this unsuccessful robbery, Maureen was missing David, and she wanted him back. Does your local newspaper still have that Valentine section, when you can send a message to the one you love, or desire, or both? Maureen took out an advert in the Liverpool Echo for Valentine's Day, targeted at David, calling him Big Boy, and inviting him to a rendezvous. Once again, to think that some people say that romance is dead. And a few days later, on the 21st of February, what remained of their relationship, it seems they were still sleeping together until then, fell apart when the couple had an explosive argument in the street when Maureen found out that David was dating a neighbour. The tension rose along with their voices, culminating in Maureen ramming David's works van of her own car and then throwing a brick through the windscreen. This extreme reaction didn't go down well with David, who grabbed her by the throat and tried to choke her as onlookers watched on with astonishment. After the incident, Maureen sent David a string of angry text messages about having been strangled and battered. David was contrite, apologising for his actions, saying that he just lost it. The next day she sent him a text saying, Tell your bird if anything happens to this house or me and the kids, I will kill you and her. She added that she was going to the police. David replied, If you want me in jail, just get me raided. It was Maureen's turn to react angrily, saying that she was no grass, she wouldn't do that. And a few days later, on the 27th of February, Maureen Smith found that a TV had been taken from her parents' caravan, and she blamed David for stealing it. She called him a robbing C-word via text and added, Watch yourself. He replied, Why? Who's coming? And how much did you pay them? Maureen continued to text saying, I'll never forgive you for this. I will tell my baby you are dead. Must have been a decent TV, huh? Further messages said, It's effing worth spending money to get you fucked. Drop dead. Watch yourself, shitbag. I effing mean it. The 27th of February 2012 was just another grey late winter's day in Liverpool. At about 4pm, David Corridan was at his parents' house in Norris Green, along with fellow drug dealer Craig Wallace. They'd been out buying sausage rolls and they'd just got in when there was a knock at the door. David Corridan went to answer it. A man stood outside and asked if Joey was in. But before David had a chance to answer or to assess the situation developing, 
the man had stormed into the house with two others and attacked David Corridan in the hallway. The three men rained blows on David, asking him where the money was, with one saying, If you don't do it, I will. Although super fit, David was instantly in trouble and was heard saying, I can't breathe, as the intruders bundled him up the stairs. His pal Craig jumped out of an upstairs window as the attack took place, borrowed a neighbour's phone and was in a frantic state as he rang 999. Paramedic Mark Brooks was working out of Bootle Ambulance Station when he and his colleague got the call. He told of what happened shortly afterwards when he got to the scene. When we arrived, police officers were already there, cordoning off the street. We were taken into the house. There was a hoover line knocked over and a towel with blood on it. We went into the bedroom and there was a male lying there. There was a police officer doing chest compressions. There was blood coming out of his mouth. There was bubbling and spraying a bit. We tried to get an airway, but the equipment kept filling with blood. There was no electrical activity. His pupils were fixed and dilated. There were no visible signs of life, and we were unable to maintain an airway. The decision was taken not to continue, and I pronounced him dead at the scene. David had died from stab wounds from knives and screwdrivers to both of his lungs. He was just 32 when he died at his parents' house. His teenage son was in the home at the time and experienced the terror of his dad's death. The detectives were quickly at the house and appealing for information about a stolen silver BMW that had been seen with three men in it driving away from the scene and it was found burnt out later that afternoon in nearby Kirkdale. But then there wasn't much police activity, lots of appeals, but no arrests. And it was almost two weeks before the telephone conversations between Kelly and Maureen Smith and the text to David saw them arrested. Maureen told the police that she'd never wanted David killed, just a robbery. And her sister Kelly said she had contacted Tyrone Griffiths, but didn't ever expect it to come to murder, just a robbery. Maureen expanded more on her relationship with David, saying, Around November or December 2011, we separated due to numerous arguments we'd begun having about my suspicions he was sleeping with other women. When we met, I had my son, who was still a baby, but David accepted him as his own and brought him up with me. I would say that David and I had a good relationship and we were the very best of friends. Our relationship was not a violent one. Maureen explained that she had suffered postnatal depression after the birth of her daughter and this had made her increasingly jealous of David and aggressive in her responses, saying, We'd sent text messages, some of which were abusive and threatening in nature and it was usually me who was aggressive. She admitted confronting women on Facebook after she accessed his account and saw they were sending him messages. She also told of the argument six days before he died, saying, We ended up having a big argument. It was the biggest face-to-face argument we had in our relationship. I was trying to wind him up and get a rise out of him because I was angry. We were pushing and shoving each other. But Maureen was adamant that she loved David. She didn't want him dead. 
For Maureen and Kelly, the trail led to Tyrone Griffiths, and three weeks after David's murder, Griffiths was in custody. At first, he refused to answer questions. But after a day of interrogation, he named Nicholas Nelson as being involved, although he maintained he did not know who else was part of the gang. When asked why he had revealed Nelson's name, which isn't how things work amongst serious criminals, he said, Because David had been killed for nothing, I thought I'm drawing a line here. I'm telling them what happened, regardless of the consequences. Tyrone Griffiths told detectives that Kelly Smith had contacted him weeks earlier and told him how David Corridon kept £40,000 in his house and that there was money there for them to take. He said that Kelly had told them all about David's daily routine and how the house would be empty. He also confessed on the day of David's nan's funeral he sent some lads around to burgle the house but they were twice unsuccessful after being spotted by neighbours. He further admitted he'd spoken to Nicholas Nelson on the day of David's murder, but said he'd been assured that the house was empty and it would be a routine burglary. An hour after the murder, Griffiths said that Kelly Smith was on the phone hysterical, telling him that David was dead following the botched burglary. Griffiths had already spoken to Nicholas Nelson, who had told him they'd attacked David and feared they'd hurt him badly. Once he'd finished a call to Kelly, He again called Nicholas Nelson, and when he told him that David was dead, to quote Griffiths, Nelson's head fell apart. All in all, the hapless burglars had done a pretty terrible job, only managing to find £900 and a few watches, rather than the £40,000 they'd intended to split between them. Astonishingly, some might say, the police later found £35,000 hidden in wardrobes and the attic. Nicholas Nelson was next in for questioning, and he said he was involved, but only as the driver, for what he claimed was just a burglary gone wrong. Nothing more, he hadn't even known David. He told how he was terrified at the repercussions for him personally when he met Tyrone Griffiths after the robbery. He said, Tyrone was sitting there with a gun, shouting that he had lost his money. He was looking aggressive, he was looking evil, He was standing there with a gun, all vexed. I know what he is capable of. Nelson's brother Willis was in next and he denied any involvement at all, saying he'd been crashed out on his parents' couch after a hard couple of days partying. He said he woke up when his brother returned from the robbery at David's parents' home. I said, what's happening? He said he went on a bit of work and shit got messy. He said he was a driver of a car and some kid went berserk. I asked him, are you okay? He said yes, and I didn't ask him more than that. He added that later that day, he told me he'd found out that the bit of work he'd been on, the kid, had been killed. Let me just give you another insight into the lives of the Nelson brothers, explaining their movements just prior to the murder. I'll quote directly from the Liverpool Echo here. Nicholas Nelson said that Willis had gone to his house in Kirkdale, rotten, stinking drunk, after spending the weekend ticket-touting at Wembley, where Liverpool had won the Carling Cup. He said they took a taxi to their mum's house, where Nicholas Nelson kept a sex slave called Natalie, who Willis wanted to, I quote, get into, end quotes. But when they got there, she was out, so Willis Nelson fell asleep on the couch, while Nicholas went off on the ill-fated raid. 
on David's parents' house. That's the end of the quote. Between the murder and the trial came July, which would have been David's 33rd birthday. When his family visited his grave in Anfield Cemetery, to his astonishment his dad found birthday cards written by Maureen and Kelly. Kelly Smith's card read, To my brother David, happy birthday godfather. I miss you so much it kills me. I pray to you every morning and night. I'm so sorry for the way things have turned out. I never wanted this to happen. You are always in my heart. Maureen Smith's card read, I think about you all the time. You are always on my mind. You are the love of my life. Things are not the same without you. I wish I could send this card up to you. My heart is hurting without you. Love you lots, Jelly Tots. Her pet name for him. The trial took place at Liverpool Crown Court. For the prosecution, QC Cummings opened by saying that the Nelson brothers denied any involvement in the case, but that the Smith sisters and Tyrone Griffiths were likely to admit a plan to burgle, but not rob David Corridon. The prosecution alleged that by February 27th, Maureen Smith wanted David Corridon not just to have his money taken from him, but to be given a taste of his own medicine as well. The telephone evidence, in particular some of the text messages, shows the level of hostility between them and also demonstrates that Maureen Smith was expecting David Corridon to be confronted. Remember the words? It's effing worth spending the rest of the money to get you fucked. Tyrone Griffiths knew where he kept his money and knew that David Corridon could handle himself and that he was often in company of a second man. It is no accident that three men attended the house or that they were armed. It started as a conspiracy to rob. It ended in murder. The prosecution case against William Nelson centred on telephone records and was the subject of several attempts by the defence to have it thrown out for lack of evidence, but not successfully. The Nelson brothers stood alone in the dock as they were both convicted of murder by an 11 to 1 majority. Both wearing dark tracksuits, they shook their heads slightly and stared ahead. It was in stark contrast to Willis Nelson's early behaviour when he'd smirked at members of David Coronan's family in the public gallery. Yep, another example of that abhorrent behaviour that we seem to hear about so much on this podcast. Nicholas Nelson and his brother, Willis, were found guilty of murder and conspiracy to commit robbery and burglary. They were both sentenced to a minimum of 28 years in jail. Maureen Smith was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Her sister Kelly received a 22-year sentence. As he sentenced the sisters, the judge said, This was a tragic and senseless loss of life, which has had a catastrophic impact on the lives of many other people. David Corridon was a loving, caring and devoted father, and I find it incomprehensible that you could even have dreamt of planning this to someone who had done so much to help you. You believed he was seeing other women behind your back and became obsessive. You probably couldn't accept the relationship was over. I accept that you still loved him and nursed the hope he would one day come back, but the line between love and hate can be a fine one. I accept you are racked with remorse for what you did, although some of the remorse that you have displayed, I have no doubt of feeling that it is sorrow for yourself. And Tyrone Griffiths, the man who had controlled the operation, 
was also found guilty of murder, conspiracy to commit robbery and burglary, and possession of an unlicensed firearm and ammunition. He was sentenced to a minimum of 28 years in prison. After the hearing, David Corridan's dad, David Corridan Sr., told the Liverpool Echo, David was a young, fit, healthy man who was taken from us in the prime of his life. He was mild-mannered, sincere, and a devoted father, big brother and son. He was everybody's friend. Greed played a major role in this case, and we have been shocked, appalled and devastated by the events. However, the total lack of remorse and common decency from the defendants and some of their family members has hurt us the most. Not only did these people murder David, but they also assassinated his character. Justice can never replace his son, but it may help. The events of February the 27th have had far-reaching effects and affected the lives of many. David has taken a little piece of all of our hearts. So what should make of what we've heard today? Did Maureen Smith really want to just get David turfed out of his parents' home so that she could get him back? Or did she really want the ultimate revenge? If she was telling the truth, it was a very high-stakes play, and she must have known that. Of all of them, is Maureen's sister Kelly the one we feel the most sorry for? Should she have received such a strong sentence? I'm not so sure. Or do you have no sympathy for any of them? David may have been no saint, and many of you will feel that anyone who deals the drugs which cause such misery to so many is due whatever comes their way. But I think we can all agree that we feel sympathy for David's family and friends, especially his two children, who've lost their dad forever, and their mum to prison. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. Please join us on Facebook to discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime. And to support the show and read about my dicey personal situation, before I started this podcast three years ago, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So there we have it. Three years of podcasts. 159 standard episodes in the can. Full-length bonus episode 37 being released for Patreon members tomorrow. So in all, that's 196 episodes have been recorded, plus all the other blogs and other stuff related to the show. Has that time investment all been worth it? And is it worth continuing? What a question. Like asking, are the Mighty Leeds United the best football team globally? Are Kings of Leon the most dull band? And Horses the greatest ever single? Speak soon, I hope. And whether at home, work, or with a towel falling to the floor as you walk into the sauna in Rochdale, stay classy. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. 
Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 